Relatively Geeky presents Doom Speak. Welcome to this fifth homebound sequestered episode of Doom Speak, in which we used to be observing and celebrating one of the most important epochs in comicsdom, the era where Marvel Comics issued books bearing the glorious title of Doctor Doom. But as you know, the comics industry has gone on a coronavirus-fueled hiatus, and even in this slow rebuilding and restoring and re-energizing process we're in now, Doctor Doom's return to the spinner racks is still at least a month away. But despite that, we do have a Latverian leader to celebrate. Now, because Doom is such a strong advocate of democracy and a defender of voting rights, I put the issue selection for this episode up for a Twitter vote. The contenders were a modern book from just a few years ago and one from the 1980s. And in an overwhelming vote, well over 70% of the popular vote, and also winning, albeit a tighter race, in the Electoral College, it was a case of total dominance by the older book. So in this episode, we'll be looking at Cloak and Dagger number 10. Marvel Comics, cover dated January 1987. Spidey, thanks for playing, and better luck next time. But first, a little feedback. From the episode before last, the supervillain team-up episode with Red Skull, we heard from Podcasting's Michael Bailey. Professor, thank you for covering some supervillain team-up. It seemed like a good idea. Bronze Age goodness with Doctor Doom, What more could anyone ask? I particularly liked that you mentioned why Doom would have issues with the Red Skull. This is why Nazis make the best villains. Just about everyone has a beef with them. This story reminded me of the Acts of Vengeance crossover, where Magneto joined the Cabal of Villains for the specific purpose of getting at the Red Skull, which he did. He buried the skull alive. And it was only because of crossbones that the skull survived. It was glorious. I'm also glad that you continue to fight against the forces of hashtag big comic. I'm sure they'd say that Tony Stark was able to create tech for S.H.I.E.L.D. that would allow them to get into space as fast as they did in this story. But we know the truth. Stark is a hack who's only popular because of the movies. And since hashtag Big Comics Reach goes all the way to those films, the true power and majesty of Doom keeps getting sabotaged on the big screen. Makes a man want to become more militant. <laughs> Great show as always. Keep up the good work. As always, hail Doom, podcasting's Michael Bailey. And on last episode... Doom, the Emperor, returns. Mike also chimed in. Professor Allen, thank you for opening my eyes to what 
terrible parents, Reed and Sue, really are, well, maybe not Sue as much, despite being a strong and assertive woman, I think her love of Mr. Stretchy Pants blinds her a bit, which is sad in a way. But to turn their son so far away from the rightful ruler of Latveria, I really think a well-placed anonymous call to children's services might be in order. Hopefully they're not in thrall of hashtag. Hopefully they're not also in the thrall of deep comic. On a more serious note, whoa, Mike, I thought that first part was pretty darn serious, but okay. On a more serious note, this series sounded amazing, but that's not a surprise because Chuck Dixon is involved. There are few writers in comics that are as versatile as he is. Whether it's an adaptation of The Hobbit, or the various bat books he's written, or Punisher, or wait for it, a Moon Knight, Dixon always delivers. At the very least, a solid and enjoyable story. He's also one of the rare writers that seems to be at ease, writing from a standpoint not his own. I'll have to track this down, and finishes Moon Knight run at some point, too. Regards. And, of course, Hail Doom Podcasting's Michael Bailey. And a hearty Hail Doom to you as well, my friend. Kyle Benning said it was a great episode. I've never gotten a chance to read this series, but was always interested to see how Doom ended up making it back to the real Earth following the events of Heroes Return. Great point about Doom reconstructing the female lead in his digital reality and giving her both body armor and agency. And then Kyle asked a touchy question. I'm curious how you feel about Doom's different handling of a somewhat similar situation in Secret Wars 3 when it comes to the reconstructed world he made, specifically his treatment of in relationship with Susan Storm in that reality? That is a really good question, Kyle. But I think that Sue is a special case in a lot of ways, because in these alternate worlds, it's not just about Sue. His various relationships with Sue in these different times and spaces are also, to be honest, about punishing Reed. Because above all things, Reed Richards deserves scorn and punishment. Billy D. from MagazinesAndMonsters.com wrote in, Hey Prof, just finished your episode about the Doom Mini by Chuck Dixon. I bought the trade when it came out, but I can't remember if I enjoyed it or not. I guess I need to do a reread. Great show as always. Thank you, Billy, and you definitely need to do a reread. Social media support for the last episode came from Pat from the Long Box Crusade, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, Sir Luke Giaconetti, Karen from Between the Pages, Dr. Ange, Clinton from Coffee and Comics, Chris Lydon, Old School Ross, Sean from Secret Wars and Beyond, Chris from Professor Frenzy, It's a Show. Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, Spy Vinyl, Tim Price from The Outcasters, Green Lantern HG, Mark's Mess, and our network, Listeners of the Year, Countess Ruth and Count Darren of The Sutherlands. Thanks for all of that feedback, everybody. 
I am pleased by that. And so is Doom. Time to take a break, and we will play a promo here. And also, for the first time in a while, I'm going to play the bit that was created by Herman Lowe of the Into the Weird podcast, the bit from which this podcast got its name. Again, Herman, thank you so much for that. And after all of that, we'll be back to talk about Cloak and Dagger, number 10. Hmm, I crave superheroic content. Let's see what's on. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Mm, nah, I don't think so. I'm Batman. Mm, not really what I'm looking for. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Ugh, absolutely not. This is Robin the Boy Wonder. I'm Batman. Aha, now that's more like it. If you see Adam West as the one true Batman, then this is the podcast for you. Tune in every other Thursday on your favorite podcast source to hear Tim and Paul discuss the 1966 series and everything connected with it. What's the podcast called? To the Batpoles. To the Batpoles. To the Batpoles. The year is 1975. Picture, if you will, Alan Middleton, a young man fondled by the hands of fate. While joyriding on a remote mountain road in his uncle's 74 Camaro, a fateful collision with a truck careened him off the road, resulting in a fiery explosion that revealed a shocking truth. Beneath the tattered flesh caused by Alan's injuries lurked the exoskeleton of a Latverian doombot. Realizing that his life up to this point had been a lie, the teenage construct traveled to Latveria where he confronted his insidious maker. Taking pity on him, Doom revealed to Alan that he had been the first of a series of prototype life model infiltrator Doombots, which had developed a fatal flaw. Their high-level machine intelligence coupled with their advanced empathic circuits rendered them all too human, incapable of the ruthlessness and blind obedience Doom required. In a rare gesture of mercy, Doom inserted the baby bot into the American adoption system and promptly forgot about him. Twice rejected and now deported from Latveria by a creator who despised being reminded of failure, Alan set out to prove himself worthy of his father. Returning to the States and following in the footsteps of Doom, Alan was seduced by academic life and proceeded to collect PhDs like a sugar addict collects lollipops on Halloween. After taking the world of science by storm with his theory of relative geekery, a scientific marvel that made Einstein's stuff look like cheap pizza recipes, Alan, with the aid of his enhanced onboard voice modulator, perfected a science even Doom coveted. Radiotronic audio wave mind modulation the ultimate form of mind control, a science he termed doom-casting. The Latverian monarch at last saw potential in his now wizened construct and presented Alan with a test. Procure a 25-cent pristine copy of Fantastic Four, Volume 1, Number 5, from a quarter bin at a comic convention. 
Jumping at the chance to perform this impossible feat, Alan headed to the nearest con, dragging two captive mutants along, Longshot and Domino, whom he had abducted from the future and placed under his thrall with his mind modulator. A story for another day. In the presence of these two lucky but unlucky do-gooders, Alan quickly found a near-mint copy of said issue in the first quarter bin he perused. He reunited with his father and has been cruising the radio waves ever since, soothing humanity's resistance to tyranny with his calm, reassuring voice, gently spreading the doctrine of doom. And that, weird listeners, is the origin of Professor Allen, otherwise known as the podcasting polymath, the Latverian lector, the academic ace, yet one name rings louder than the rest. Doom speak. <laughs> there you go, Professor Allen, your very own Bronze Age alter ego. And we're back. Cloak and Dagger number 10 was cover dated January 1987 and had a cover price of 75 cents. And I pulled this one right out of a long box from the basement. But I'll talk about that later. The story, Who'll Stop the Rain? was written by the excellent Bill Mantlow, with art by Brett Blevins and Terry Austin. The cover shows Doom himself, up at the top half or so of the cover, doing one of the things he does best, symbolically holding people in his hands. In this case, he's holding a very small cloak in one hand and a teeny tiny dagger in the other. It's almost as if the guest star is a much bigger star, much bigger draw, than the title characters. Huh. Interesting. The story starts atop Doom's castle in Latveria, in a downpour, windstorm, and crashing lightning worthy of a Jim Steinman rock epic. Rage on, Storm, your power is mine to employ. Tonight, Doom intends to save the world for himself. Doom is informed that the particle projector nears completion and that the weather tonight is excellent for its purposes. Thus, tonight is the perfect time for Doom to impose his final solution upon the planet. And now I do have to interrupt right here to file a formal complaint against the translators at hashtag big comic. In my generosity of spirit, I will assume that the use of the phrase final solution was accidental. As we reviewed earlier in this episode, and all of last episode, Doom would not utilize Nazi language or otherwise associate himself with their pogroms. But again, just used once, I'll note it, but I will not ascribe negative attentions. Editors can sometimes be careless. Things happen. Back to the story. His intentions are to save the world. 
despite humanity's apparent determination to destroy it, if the nations of the earth cannot stop squabbling like spoiled children long enough to control the forces they have so foolishly unleashed, then doom shall take their deadly toys away from them. Doom then gives Boris, and us, a lesson in Greek mythology, talking about Zeus and the gift of fire. The equivalent today, the today of 1987, is nuclear power. A great tool for industry, for medicine, for science. But it has been primarily used to forge incalculably destructive weapons of war. But once he pushes that big red button, the particle projector will begin the process of destroying all of the world's nuclear power, lest in its insanity it destroys itself and doom. Then at this point, we are reminded that we are in fact reading a comic called Cloak and Dagger. They are on the trail of drug dealers or drug smugglers across Europe. I guess that's been the storyline for the last handful of issues. And last episode, they got a lead that brought them to this part of Europe. But instead of finding a lead on their drug case, they see Doom's Castle nearby with a powerful stream of light blasting upwards, skyward from it. This is the particle projector, and Dagger is drawn to that pure, beautiful light. They are kind of bummed out to learn that they're in Latveria, but before they can figure out what to do, a local magistrate invites them, forcefully, invites the trio. Uh, this is Cloak and Dagger and their, their normie friend, Bill Clayton. The, the three of them are invited to the castle, and Doom welcomes them. You employ your powers of light and darkness to do good. They have a chat about good and evil, and of course, these young kids believe the FF's lies about Doom. Doom tries to convince them of the wisdom of his no-nukes policy. Dagger is impressed that he is ending the possibility of nuclear war. The trio of guests head off to bed as this process will take some time, and it is quite late. They debate Doom's plan among themselves, and also bring Zeus into their conversation, and also Prometheus, who as a champion of mankind brought fire back from Zeus. Cloak points out the positive aspects of nuclear power, including its utility in medicine, energy. They decide, unwisely, that doom must be stopped. And though eventually the Avengers or the FF or someone else may catch wind of this plot, they're the ones there, on site, right then. The responsibility is theirs. It's, 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 it's up to them to accomplish this crazy and dastardly plan. So they rush back in, interrupting Doom, who has been drinking some wine, watching his beam work, and he does reveal that his own nuclear power plants, you know, they're of course shielded from the particle projector, so that's just a minor technicality. And when you think about it, 
It just makes good sense, actually, for one benevolent ruler to have access to the power of ultimate destruction. And if you had to narrow it down to one, Doom is the obvious choice. Dagger fires her light beams at him, and they do penetrate him. But he's ultimately unaffected by her powers. Because her powers destroy evil. And Doom, appropriately, understands, rightly, that what he's doing is good for the world. So Cloak acts in his power. He is able to to trap him and force him to see visions of his mommy, which is pretty dirty pool, because as a very good son, Victor loves his mommy very, very much. And here we learn yet another layer of nobility within Doom's motivation. He's only trying to conquer the world and amass power so that he can free her from the dark forces that have unjustly enslaved her in the underworld. Doom escapes from Cloak's uh, cloak, realizing that his mother was just a vision, just a trick. It was all a thrice-cursed lie of the mind. Doom is kind of upset by this trickeration and sends his roboids to find the fleeing title characters of this book who have made it to the particle projector itself. Dagger is not sure they can stop the machine, seeing as she can't see where it's plugged in. And Cloak is too weak from his battle with Doom, so when Doom arrives, Cloak again uses the underhanded and evil trick of capturing Doom and the Cloak and blah, blah, blah. And Doom blasts away at the Cloak, but hits his own particle projector. And with a last page, Skaroom! It's destroyed. And so is our chance at peace. And Cloak and Dagger and their their buddy Bill get themselves the heck out of Latveria while Cloak asks an important question on the last panel of the story. Will we in time come to regret this as we live with the gnawing guilt that we have given humanity back the means of its own destruction? The end. So what did I think of this? Well, first things first, there was, in fact, a second mention by Doom of this plan being his final solution. Uncool, guys. Uncool. Especially given the fact that in the scene with Doom's mother, Cynthia, she is clearly dressed in stereotypical, and I will use the language from 1987, stereotypical gypsy garb. It shouldn't really be that hard for anyone to connect the dots between that heritage and the Nazi view of gypsies to understand that, quote, final solution, unquote, is not language that Doom would be comfortable using, or phraseology that he would not 
associate himself and his plans with. I was able to forgive one instance as an accident, but two? This is clearly a plot and an outrage. But let's move on. First, let's talk about my fandom of Cloak and Dagger because I am a fan. I was not a reader of, was it Spidey that they debuted in? So I, I, I did miss those debut appearances uh, for Cloak and Dagger, but I did get the first four-issue mini from 1985. And this series also, which ran 11 issues, I have all of these. Uh, I, I did not follow this uh, title after issue 11 when it moved to Strange Tales. And it ran there another 19 issues as a split book between C&D and Doctor Strange. Then after that series wrapped up, I picked up the first 10 issues of the Mutant Misadventures of Cloak and Dagger from around 89 or so. That series ran 19 issues with the last six officially being renamed Just Cloak and Dagger. And all of those issues that I picked up way back in the day, I remember liking the series a lot, and I still own all of those issues. So I have the first 25 issues of Cloak and Dagger, counting those three series that that bear their name. And this issue, like I said, I just pulled it right out of the box. Now, I do have an admission to make here. And I know this may cost me some listeners, cost me some followers. But this Cloak and Dagger issue does bring up some very serious and debatable concerns. And I'm going to trust the years of goodwill that I hope I've built up over the years. Even though that third series is officially called The Mutant Misadventures of Cloak and Dagger, I file it with the C's right after the second volume. And you know what? I'm not sorry. I'd do it again. (laughs) And so, as a fan of the characters, going back all the way to the 80s, I was pretty pleased when I heard that they were being developed for a live-action TV show. And I watched both seasons on Freeform, all 20 episodes, and thought it wasn't all that bad. Pretty good, as a matter of fact. I know that the plan was for the characters to appear on season three of Runaway, seeing as their own show had been canceled after two seasons, but I don't know if that happened. I I don't know the status of Runaways. I never actually watched uh, that show. But like I said, I thought it wasn't a bad show and thought they handled the basics of the characters pretty well. Uh, Olivia Holt, in particular, I thought did a very good job portraying Tandy Bowen, a.k.a. Dagger. But this is not Cloak and Dagger speak. This is Doom speak. So let's get back to the details of this comic book. I mentioned that Cloak and Dagger's excuse for having Doom in their issue, which is how the last issue ended, is about an ongoing drug smuggling investigation that they were involved in. And at the end of last issue, they landed around Latveria. It is interesting that Mantlo just dispatches of that plot point very quickly, as soon as Cloak and Dagger meet Doom. 
doom suffers no common criminals to cross the borders of his realm. Undoubtedly, the smugglers you seek proceeded down the Autobahn, the trans-European highway, which passes near the borders of Latveria, to Istanbul, where narcotics are known to take place. So, I'm thinking what happened was that Bill Mantlo really wanted to tell a Dr. Doom story and needed a plot reason to do that. Or at least a plot-adjacent reason to do that. And in that context, this worked. Because the reason for the diversion from the main plot, or the reason to bring Doom into the story, because bringing Doom into a story is always a good idea. And there were nice bits of plotting and scripting here, and that should be no surprise given how good Bill Mantlo was at writing comic books. Waiting five pages to get to Cloak and Dagger. That ongoing theme of Zeus and Prometheus and fire. Bringing in Doom's mom. Explaining why the Avengers and other Marvel heroes aren't on the scene yet. And even the conclusion, where Doom more or less defeats himself. Certainly was not defeated by Cloak and Dagger. Or C&D, and I, I call them that not just because that's their initials, but because that's pretty much where they line up as C or D listers. But all of those choices that Mantlo made were just good, solid, professional writing choices. And I think he did a good job with Doom's voice and attitude, which is always something we look for. And he recognizes Doom's priorities and values. And actually gives him a nice, debatable plan. Yes, it's for world domination, blah, blah, blah. But it's also to benefit humanity. Now, I don't know what was going on with C&D not believing that Dr. Doom really existed, but that he was just an urban legend. That's been tried a few times with Batman, but I don't remember that ever being a thing with Dr. Doom. Remember that Cloak and Dagger are both teenagers? So maybe it was just Mantlo's commentary on education or, you know, kids these days, something like that. And Dagger, looking for a plug for the big machine. That was kind of funny. And on the art, Brett Blevins gives us a lot of medium shots, avoiding really tight close-ups of Doom's face, of, of the mask. But the basic design of Doom's armor and the flow of the cloak, that was fine enough. The eye holes did seem a little tilted, uh, maybe a little more than usual. But again, certainly within the range of acceptable looks for Doom. Again, this series only lasted one more issue, but after that, when the series does continue into Strange Tales, at that point, Blevins becomes the regular artist. One other nice little bit of art happens early in the issue where Doom is walking around his place. Doom, not surprisingly, has an awesome library. But more importantly, he has at least three levitating library robots helping with the filing and organizing process. Now, I've talked to Kirk Spencer about this. And I'm pretty sure if I can get my hands on one of those cataloging robots, I could rent it out to him for comic book usage. That might be my entire retirement plan, as a matter of fact. 
A couple of months ago over on the quarter bin, I talked about a Thor annual from 1975 where the topic of nukes was handled and what I thought of, considered, spoke of as a nuanced way of tackling a hot political topic, a way that perhaps was more open-minded than in comics of these days. And I think we have that at work here again, an actual debate about what is, in effect, a political issue. For context, it's important to note that this issue took place during the Cold War era. So we have actual worries about nuclear war, actual fear of potential conflicts between the NATO nations of the West and the nations in the USSR and the Soviet bloc, uh, countries east of the Berlin Wall. Which also brings up the interesting question of the exact geographic location of Latveria. I'd put it in Central Europe, somewhere near the East-West Divide. I wouldn't put Latveria either in NATO territory or within the Warsaw Pact. I think Doom likes to maintain his independent status. He's not really one to join an alliance. But back to the issue of nukes. The no-nukes movement probably hit its high point in 1979 with the no-nukes concert of the same name. The album that came from that concert spawned the hit cover of Stay by Bruce Springsteen and Jackson Brown. And here, just seven years later, we have Dr. Doom doing his own no-nukes festival, including, if Dagger is to be believed, one heck of a light show. Again, she buys it completely, noting that this move, eliminating all the nuclear-powered devices in the world, would indeed eliminate everybody's nuclear weapons. Asterix, Edward's note, except Doom's. I mean, if he had nuclear devices, hypothetically, I mean. But Cloak, on the other hand, is an opponent of the Green Doom deal. Pointing out that not everything about nuclear power is negative. Nuclear energy is very efficient and clean. Nuclear medicine allows for major advances. Nuclear subs are powerful and effective weapons. So seriously, again, I appreciate that two sides of an issue were given equal treatment here. That both sides of the argument, pro-nukes and anti-nukes, or maybe more specifically pro-destroying all the world's nukes and anti-destroying all the world's nukes, are put in the mouths of our two title characters, Cloak and Dagger. They take different positions. I like that. And overall, I like this. Cloak and Dagger, number 10. Recommended. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but at this point in time, I think it's safe to say that we are uncertain about the future of the ongoing. The next issue is supposed to come out in late September, but about a month ago it was supposed to come out in early September, so it's kind of hard to say. You, you, just, you just never know. I mean, hashtag Big Comic was willing to release a global pandemic on the world to keep that issue off the shelves. There's no telling what they're going to do next. But fear not. 
Relatively Geeky, will continue to be your number one source for true, unvarnished, leaning-in coverage of the great and mighty Doom. I'm not sure if we're going to have a September episode, but we certainly will have an October episode of Doom Speak, and fingers crossed, that will cover the next issue of the ongoing. If not, we'll just have to cover some other epic tale from somewhere in the epic history of our epic hero. If you have any feedback on this episode, on this issue, on Doom hanging out with C&D list characters, or anything related to the good doctor, don't hesitate to contact me. You can do that via email, relativelygeeky at gmail.com, or as a comment on our Facebook or blog post for this episode. The blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care, and hail doom. Hail doom! Hail doom! Hail doom!